A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to a galaxy far, far away. I'm John. And I'm David. And this is our coverage of the Disney Plus original series, The Mandalorian. In this podcast, we'll be discussing our personal Star Wars backgrounds, our general thoughts on the first two seasons, and our hopes and fears for season three. Be sure to stick around at the end of the podcast for programming notes about other great podcasts coming from us and our podcasting peers. One of our favorite things about podcasting is getting your feedback. We love to hear fan theories, pickups on details we might have missed, and to hear what folks are thinking about the episodes and seasons overall. You can send us feedback in a couple of ways. You can email us at starwarsatthelorehounds.com, or you can head over to our nifty new website and go to the contact page and leave us a voicemail, and then we'll get to those emails and voicemails on the next episodes. I see the download numbers. Y'all are freeloading. Right in this season, and let's talk some Star Wars. If you want to talk Star Wars with us sooner, join us over on our new Discord server, which you can join with a link in our show notes. A quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and want to support us directly, check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just three bucks a month, you get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, early access, and more. Of course, you can always get our ad-supported podcasts on our Firehose feed by searching for the Lorehounds on your podcast application of choice or using the subscription tool at thelorehounds.com. This is especially important because we are launching our Star Wars feed for this show, our Mandalorian feed, uh, so that we can reach some new listeners. We hope that uh, you found us through your little Apple podcast search or Google search. But if you have, we don't just do Star Wars. We do plenty of other stuff. So head on over to our feed, the Lorehounds, if you want to get all of that. Lastly, um, speaking of Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and a review if you've got a moment and you feel so moved. Ratings and reviews really help us appear in those searches, and especially in a busy marketplace like with The Last of Us and with Star uh, Wars-related content. The more visibility we have, the more people can find us. The more people find us, the more we can make podcasts. All right, David. Let's give everyone a brief background on what we have in our Star Wars backgrounds, because this is the first episode for our coverage of The Mandalorian, and we may have some new listeners, we may have people who haven't listened to our Star Wars coverage before, so what is your personal Star Wars history? 
Well, I saw the original Star Wars in a movie theater with my family uh, when it came out, I think during opening week. And uh, we were traveling at that time. And uh, like, uh, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I, we were like on a road trip or something, uh, you know, family camping car trip or something like that. And we saw it in some other city. And then when we came back to my city, I remember the lines around the block and standing in those lines and buying all the action figures and the big trade size um, uh, graphic novels and all that kind of stuff. So it really lit a fire on us back then when we were kids, because I was the perfect demographic for it. We were constantly, you know, who's got what, you know, action figure and, and all of those kinds of things. So, um, and then, you know, followed along with the movies, the, the two other movies as they came out. And then that was about it. Never really went deeper, didn't read the books didn't um, do much else with it, didn't get into the collectible comics. That was never really my thing anyway. And then the prequels came out, and um, that was painful. Uh, very, very painful. <laughs> Harsh. And then, yes. And then the postquels came out. Uh, and what was it? Uh, what was the first one of those? The first J.J. Abrams? The there? Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. That was great. You know, that was a nostalgia hole and and lots of you know, member berries and, and, you know, good times and laughs and then some drama and, you know, and he set up some stakes. And then the second two movies, I were, I don't know, maybe in some ways worse than the prequels for me. Um, just horrible wrecks of movies that I felt were, didn't do anybody any service, even though I know the middle one has got some fandom in it, but um, I have a, a lot of issues with it. Um, not because of what Ryan Johnson was trying to do, talking about the Force, but just in some basic movie storytelling plot stuff. Bringing the hype machine back around, David. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm bringing the energy. I'm bringing the vibe down, right? So that's it. Uh, and then we jumped onto Andor, and then Andor was like awesome and amazing. And uh, I think it's one of my all-time top favorite television shows ever. It awakened our Force, really. Yes. <laughs> Very funny. Um, it, uh, but it wasn't Star Wars in, in some ways, right? It was, uh, it was just good storytelling that was set in the Star Wars universe, even though it is Star Wars, what have you. Um, other than that, yeah, I've watched all of Mandalorian. I've done it twice now to catch up for our, our recap. Uh, watched the book of Boba Fett when it came out. That was a uh, mixed bag. Um, and other than that, I'm a real surface level fan. I don't have deep lore. I don't have deep knowledge. And uh, I've been watching The Bad Batch and, you know, catching up on some of the animated stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm just sort of your average fan. And I'm really hopeful and wishing. I, I really enjoyed Mandalorian, especially season two. And I'm really looking forward to season three. I, hopefully it's going to be a good thrill ride. Very cool. Yeah, I was about 10 years old, I think, when Revenge of the Sith came out. So I probably have more nostalgia for the prequels. Sure. than I do for the original trilogy, even though I think that they're better movies, the original trilogy. I have a lot of fun with the Clone Wars era. Mm -hmm. I was, as you said, a surface-level fan for a very long time, for my whole life, until Andor. And then I watched Andor, and it just inspired me to go deeper. And since then, I've been binging all the Star Wars media. I, uh, I got a little obsessed over the winter. I'm, I have a, I've found balance in the Force since. But <laughs> I was a little obsessed over the winter. I binged the Clone Wars. I binged Rebels. I, uh, I binged Bad Batch. And now we're, we're doing a little bit of coverage of that. 
And I'm really happy to be here. I wouldn't say I'm a Star Wars expert, but I certainly have seen more of it than your average viewer. So I think we're trying to um, cut that line of not being so knowledgeable and getting into the esoteric so deeply that we're not appealing to the general public, but at the same time, um, not complete idiots and ignorant of, of basic facts of Star Wars yeah, history and lore. Yeah, I think I have enough to point out Easter eggs. I think that's right. where I'm at. So I think we're mm-hmm. going to have a lot of fun this season, especially because Mandalorian is much more Easter eggy than Andor is, even though Andor did have some Easter eggs. Uh, really quickly, before we get into our recap of the story so far, let's talk about what we've already covered. So we mentioned that our first Star Wars coverage was Andor Season 1. Uh, we did full coverage of the second half of the season and a quick recap of the first half of the season. We had a season wrap-up where we brought in other voices. It was a lot of fun. Then we covered Tales of the Jedi in one episode just to talk about it and talk about Star Wars animation generally. We've also done one episode on The Bad Batch, season two, episodes one through five, and we also talked about our thoughts on season one. You can find all that on our Firehose feed and our Star Wars feed. We also, on our Patreon, on our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Second Breakfast, we've talked about some other Star Wars things, like I know you've talked about Visions, I've talked about the Clone Wars and Rebels. So, we're all about Star Wars right now. We're really hyped for Mandalorian Season 3. I think it's going to be a good time, and I say we get into it. All right, lead the way. Season 1. I have a paragraph to summarize here. A Mandalorian bounty hunter named Din Djarin accepts a bounty from a remnant of the Empire. The target turns out to be a Force-sensitive child who looks like Yoda. Over the course of a season, Mando gets a new suit of Beskar armor, creates a team including Cara Dune, IG-11, Quill, and Grief Karga, and faces and defeats Moff Gideon, an Imperial commander searching for the child. At the end of the season, Mando is given a quest by a Mandalorian armorer to find the Jedi and return the child to them. David, what were your thoughts on Season 1? Um, overall, I thought, um, season one was good, not great. There were some definitely high moments in it, and there were some parts that I found less entertaining, but, and even in from episode to episode, it could be a a mixed bag. Um, I'm thinking of the first episode where he meets Cara Dune. Um, like this little idyllic village here with these shrimp farmers and stuff. It was a little bit too picture perfect for me, you know, this little, you know, uh, but then, you know, some of the battle stuff was pretty cool. And then the fact that there's an old, you know, Imperial Walker there that the bandits are using, uh, you know, and obviously it's a rip from a total rip from a Kurosawa style movies, you know, sort of a seven samurai type situation or uh, magnificent seven, if you want to go Western. Uh, so, you know, it was like, oh, uh, the, the plot was a little thin, but then, you know, the battles were pretty cool. And the fact that it drove the, the story forward and the stuff with Cara Dune was, was kind of cool. So episode to episode, and even within the episodes, there were some highs and some lows. Um, but overall, yeah, it was good. It was solid. Yeah, I agree. It was pretty good. The season was pretty good. I came into it recently. I only watched it recently. Because, again, I was not really watching the shows until Andor. And I went to the Clone Wars and Bad Batch and Rebels before I ever turned on an episode of The Mandalorian. So, in some ways, I had an advantage because I was able to have a background on a lot of these things. Like, 
who the, who the Mandalorians are, what happened on Mandalore, what happened. I don't know about the Great Purge because that was something that happened post Rebels, but I had a lot of background on this culture and I had a lot of background on some of the players that we see. Mm-hmm. However, I did get a little tired of the Adventure of the Week in a live action format. I don't know mm-hmm. why. But I am more tolerant of that format in an animated style, maybe because I know it's for kids by looking at it. Right. And I do think that it got a little bit, a little bit tired by the end of the right. season of these standalone adventures or little action adventures. But they were well done. If you space them out, they're really good. And, and I binged it, and I think that was part of the folly here. Uh-huh. And I think that when we have a new season and I'm watching week to week, I'm going to be having a much better time because okay. I'm going to be able to sit there and get my popcorn and really be there with Mando, or Mando and Grogu and just cheer them on. Yeah, interesting. The um, I think the season two, season one, like, did it really know what it was trying to do or wanting to do? You know, the very first episode where the Mandalorians, you know, coming into this saloon to pick up a, a bounty... Right. I was like, oh, this is going to be gunslinger Western style stuff. Right. And certainly that plays throughout the, that tonally that plays throughout the entire two seasons. But I didn't understand what the show was going to be. And it felt sometimes like the show didn't know what it wanted to do also. Um, and that was a little frustrating. There were times where, yeah, it was like, wow, this is really moving. Like when, um, when he picks up the the bounty and he brings, uh, you know, when he meets uh, Werner Herzog and, and his character, right? Like, super sinister. Wow, this is really interesting. And then, yeah, then, and and there's a lot of dark stuff, right? Like, stormtrooper heads on pikes. Like, that's, like, really brutal and graphic type stuff. But at the same time, then it's, like, kid-like. And is this targeted at tweens or teenagers? I'm not sure, because it's it, there's some strong storylines that uh, appeal in that direction. So uh, there worked at times during season one where I was confused about what this show was doing. And then suddenly we get Baby Yoda and, uh, you know, aka Grogu. And we're like, well, that was a real like head turner. It was like, I was not expecting that at all. Like there was zero hint. And so when Grogu shows up, it's like, huh, what? Whoa, this is wacky. This is weird. But go with it because the kid's cute, right? So yeah, I, I really had a hard time getting into a groove when it was first on, when it first aired, but then on the subsequent watch that I just completed and getting ready uh, for this season, it was like, oh, okay, I get this now. Like, I get where they were going. It felt more complete because I have season two in my pocket as a reference. Yeah, I think that what was missing from season one was a prime directive, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Because at the end of season one, you get a quest. Right. You get a quest. Yeah, clear. Return right. the, child the child to the Jedi. Right. Great. That is the goal of the season, and it connects the whole of season two. I didn't know where, where they were going with season one. It really yeah. was like, will they or won't they? That was basically right. the premise of season one. Will they or won't they stay together? And I don't know if that was enough to carry that season. There was so much setup, right? Like, we have to meet Grief Karga. We have to, to meet Cara Dune. Right. You know, he was sort of building his team and, and, you know, meeting different allies and things like that. And so, really, it was like a eight-episode setup season, almost. Like, normally, you would have a setup episode, right? Like, okay, 
here's one episode, maybe two episodes, here's the characters, here's the stakes, here's what's going on. Instead, it took them a whole season to set the stakes. And, to, right. and like you say, to give us a very clear directive at the end, which is return the child. Right. And then now we've got a mission and we, and we know where we're going and what we're trying to do. And that being said, I had a lot of fun with season one. And sure. while I went in wanting to hate the idea of a baby Yoda species person, <laughs> I mean, the execution of Grogu is excellent. I mean, he's just mm -hmm. lovable. He's, he's somehow very deep while not speaking at all. Mm -hmm. The puppeting, the puppeteering is, is really great. The, the way that Pedro Pascal interacts with this puppet is excellent. And whoever's in the suit, too, I don't even whoever's know. Whoever's in the suit, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is better than I could have imagined, the, the execution of the Grogu plotline. And I am glad that by the end of season one, there feels like there's a point. So why don't we head into season two, then? Sounds good. I'm going to split this one up into two halves, because this was a little more complicated, a little bit more cohesive of a plot. The first half goes, in his quest to find the Jedi, Mando searches out other Mandalorians. A false lead brings him to Cobb Vanth wearing the armor of Boba Fett, which is returned to Mando in exchange for his aid. As his search continues, he finds Bo-Katan and, and her entourage, who identify Mando as belonging to a Mandalorian cult called the Children of the Watch. Bo-Katan sends him to meet Ahsoka Tano, who identifies the child as Grogu, a former Jedi youngling who has gaps in his memory. Because of his attachment to Mando, she refuses to train him, but sends him to a seeing stone at the ruins of a Jedi temple. What were your thoughts on the first half of this season? Yeah, this felt like it had, well, like we said, coming out of season one, uh, clear direction, clear stakes. We understand that the you know that now Grogu and the Mandalorian are wanted, so like there's that back pressure, gonna always be moving them forward. There's the whole uh, lone wolf and cub, you know, storyline of the you know the the father that is not a father and the child that's not a child, and that's fraught, right? That has a lot of that relationship has a lot of um, tension built into it because it's like I'm your de facto parent, but not really. And I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, deal with you with this stuff. Yeah. And then we get to meet other, you know, Mandalorians, uh, you know, Bo-Katan played by, you know, Katie Sackhoff, who is a sci-fi great. If you're an old, you know, a uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica reboot fan, you know, she was Starbuck and, you know, we love to, to see her. And I think she did some voice work for. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure she series. played Bo-Katan in the Clone Wars and okay, in Rebels. So that's some nice continuity there. Yeah. So, and I think um, our, we've got the, uh, the, when we meet Ahsoka, that episode was just awesome. That was like visually awesome, tonally, it had a great vibe and tone to the whole thing. It felt um, like a great kung fu action style, you know, movie yeah. where, you know, we get, the, we get our final battle with the big bad and, you know, we get a lot of um, interesting backstory we finally learn about grogu so it was a really really well done episode i thought in in terms of building the lore of of grogu building the lore a little bit more of the jedi a little bit but then just telling this like really badass western you know kung fu style uh action movie um and it felt really seamless and visually it was gorgeous i think it was one of the best best looking episodes uh, so far definitely definitely i will say Two people are full of shit in this episode. 
<laughs> well, maybe not this, this episode, but this, this season so far. This, this half of the season, yeah. Yeah. Bo-Katan is completely full of shit because mm -hmm. if you have been following the Clone Wars and Rebels, Bo-Katan is first introduced to us as a member of Death Watch, a cult, a Mandalorian cult, on the planet of Concordia, which you'll recall is also the planet where the children of the Watch were and how they escaped the Purge. And she was involved in this group that was basically committing terrorist acts on Mandalore, which was a pacifist nation at the time, led by her sister, Satine. And her efforts with pre-Vizsla, which is a different Vizsla than we see here, uh, get her sister killed and get Mandalore ruled by Darth Maul for a time. Okay. So, my point is, her giving Mando, giving Din Djarin, an attitude about being in a cult that kind of shares a nomenclature with her cult, Death Watch, Children of the Watch. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it, dude. You're you're just a bad leader. I think you, I think uh -huh. you got a lot to atone for, and I don't think you've done it. I think the I think the Bo-Katan, and you know what? I'm glad that she exists in her state. I'm glad that they didn't do some weird redemption arc. I honestly think that they are playing her as someone who is a flawed character, who has a lot of pride, who thinks that they deserve to rule Mandalore. When I don't know if she's ever really proven that. Well, you got a real bee in your your uh, helmet here. <laughs> oh yeah, about her. I want to fight Bo-Katan, although I'd wow. lose very badly. Sure, yeah, you can fight her for the dark. Well, she doesn't have the dark saber now, anyway. So. Well, yeah, she has no claim to it. Right. The I I will say, um, uh, all issues of Bo-Katan aside, it was cool as hell to see a group of Mandalorians kicking ass like yeah. that. You know, and and I thought that that episode was a lot of fun, just visually. With the ships and the port and the the that imperial uh, transport ship, all of that stuff was was really great. Um, and I had no idea that Bo-Katan was this sort of flawed character, um, not being that uh, adept in Mandalorian history. Very much so. The dark saber. It's mentioned in Book of Boba Fett that it's gifted to her. The dark saber was gifted to her at one point by Sabine in Rebels. Mm -hmm. So that is what they're referring to. Uh, Sabine is a Mandalorian who is part of the Rebels crew in that series and eventually returns to her home and her family. Uh, she has a lot of complications, too. She created a weapon that specifically targeted Mandalorians for the Empire. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that was no good. That was no good. It melted them in their suits. It, it uh, heated up their suits to the point where they were made into human jelly, basically. Ooh, God. Nice for a kid's show, right? Yeah, that's pretty dark. You know, all the, I mean, and again, with Mandalorian, like, there's some really dark stuff here, like ice spiders and, uh, you know, um, you know, heavy weapons, you know, like ripping through buildings and, you know, grenades going off. I mean, it's not, it's a pretty violent show overall. Yeah. N not to mention, you know, baby Grogu committing uh, genocide by eating frog eggs, you know? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I totally forgot about that. What a weird plotline. That never paid off either. He's just, no. he's just doing it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and then that, uh, that, you know, sort of last of that species. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to see them again. It was just kind of a, a strange thing. I mean, we had the X-Wing tie-in with those pilots, which are sort of a recurring, you know, little bit, um, which is fine. Uh, but again, yeah, this, this, sometimes I don't know where this show is standing. Is it standing in an adult show or is it standing in a kid's show? And I think it's trying to do both, I think, clearly. Yeah. So that, you know, if you can sit there and watch this with your 13-year-old or whatever, that's like an ideal um, 
Disney Plus uh, a viewing experience, right? That's what they want. Yeah. They want you and your 13-year-old and maybe your 8-year-old to, to be able to watch this. It's no Andor, but it's still a fun time. It's your Saturday yeah, morning think- <laughs> cartoon that comes out on Wednesday. That's right. The other person who is a little bit full of shit, but less so because it's more understandable, is Ahsoka. You had two people on your shit list. I think Ahsoka and, and Luke more so, but we can get to that later. Ahsoka is just just totally learning the wrong lessons from Anakin's fall. Uh-huh. Okay, so what's your, what's your theory of the case here? Anakin did not fall because he had an attachment to Padme. Anakin fell because he could not be honest with anybody because the Jedi way forced him to be secretive. And then by the time anybody who could have actually helped him in Padme ended up knowing about this, Obi-Wan Kenobi is basically the only one who ever found out. And then Yoda eventually it was too late. And he was already seduced by the dark side by the one person who understood him and, and let him be honest with him by Palpatine. It was so easy to pull Anakin to the dark side because the shame culture that the Jedi enforce pushed him away. And this is because of his attachment to Padme, and they're not supposed to have attachments? Well, my point is, his attachment wasn't an issue. The issue was the shame in the attachment that right, was right, right. because that's, of the Jedi way. That, right, that's what I was trying to, to, to get to, at the mechanism of the shame. Right, right. What was, it was the attachment. Okay, got it. All right. So for Ahsoka and Luke later, we can give him shit later, when Ahsoka says, oh, you're too attached to the Mandalorian, I can't train you, no. The point is, he should have been able, Anakin should have been able to be open about his bonds, Grogu should be able to be open about his bonds, they should have their hearts free to love, and then not be, not be shamed, and not be drawn to negative emotion by their loving bonds. So, well, I mean, then that would get into a, a discussion on Jedi uh, belief and culture. Right. Because, I mean, I, that's, that's the big thing, in, at least in Empire, was that it's Luke's attachments that um, are used as leverage against him. That, well, you that's know, your the point, attachments, though, right? Right. This is another point, and, and yeah, right, I guess we're just going to talk about Luke now with this, too. Luke, in the original trilogy, was given crap about his attachments. The Jedi, the only remaining <laughs> Jedi, were telling him, oh, no, you got to kill your dad. Can't be attached to your dad. Got to kill him. That's the only way. And Luke says, no, the attachment is what can redeem him, is what can right. bring him back to the light. And he was right. absolutely right. He used the power of attachment for a positive, and he learned nothing. Man, you are on fire today. I am. I'm, this is my Star Wars rage cast. Okay. <laughs> and you were, you were on me for, for harshing the vibe. <laughs> Listen, I, I am excited to see how this turns out I because I'm angry at some characters. Yeah. And I'm ready for them to face the beef. Okay. Anyway, Luke does learn his lesson eventually. If you if sure. you take the last Jedi at its word, Luke does realize eventually the Jedi way is what let the Sith rise to power in the Clone Wars. Right. Right. Yeah. That that's uh, uh that's a pretty straight line um there. Their arrogance and their um rigidity, I guess you could say. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Exactly. You can't create a group of people who have no bonds to the world. And then expect them to feel a bond to the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, 
the Jedi way was always flawed, and I think that the prequel trilogy does an excellent job of showing how the arrogance of the Jedi led Got to it. the fall of the Republic. And right. Luke, it took him a while to learn that lesson, but I think he did, and we're just at the mm-hmm. stage where he has not learned that lesson yet. So that, I mean... Y- this whole, pl- I don't want to call it a plot point, this whole uh, thing about the Jedi, then it's really, what you're saying here is giving me a different perspective on what they might be doing then here with Grogu and with, with bringing Ahsoka and Luke in into these ways and then having Grogu not pick to stay with the Jedi, but to go back to, to Mando. He chose love over duty. Yeah, and what it, which is a, like completely flies in the face of some of Star Wars, right? Because Luke eventually does choose love, right? To, he chooses to love and accept his father, right? But then again, he went back and then tried to enforce the opposite, <laughs> anyway. right? Right, and and create his temple and and all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think that's what I'm most excited for is to see this plot line go forward and to see this theme explored of what does it mean to have good force users, to have light side force Uh users who don't reject bonds, who don't reject attachment, who recognize the beauty of love and the positives of love and the advantages of love instead of being so rigid and attached to this code of people who do not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. All right. And that's the end of my rant. It ended on a positive (laughs) note. Very good. What do you got? What do we we have more? We have more to talk about in the back half of the season two. Well, why don't we take a quick break? And when we get back, we'll do the back half of season two. back. David, let's go into the back half of season two. Well at the temple, Grogu goes into a trance and reaches out with the force. Mando is confronted by Boba Fett and Fennec Shand, who ask for Boba's armor back in exchange for their aid in ensuring the safety of Mando and Grogu. Grogu is kidnapped by Moff Gideon, and Mando assembles a rescue team including Boba Fett, Fennec Shand, Cara Dune, and Bo-Katan's entourage. They make a rescue attempt on Grogu, which results in a showdown between Mando and the Darksaber-wielding Moff Gideon. Mando defeats and captures Gideon, who taunts Bo-Katan about the ownership of the Darksaber. As the team is surrounded by dark troopers who they cannot defeat, Luke Skywalker appears and defeats all of their enemies. Mando gives Grogu permission to leave to train with Luke and takes his mask off to say goodbye to him. So, um, again, I think this is one of the, uh, I was utterly transported through the entire uh, back half of, of this episode. I was eager to see each episode. And then at individual times, I was let down in an episode, but then like they were able to bring me back with the story and, and interesting stuff. Like with um, the tragedy, I guess, is that the chapter 14 where, where um, Grogu where he gets, gets kidnapped, captured? Yep. The the combat scene was just ridiculous. It was like something out of Gunsmoke or Bonanza <laughs> back in the day. It was just pathetic. And then more troopers just kept showing up and like we see the empty transport and then suddenly there's 50 more coming from the other direction. It was just kind of really horrible. That said, 
then we get Boba Fett gets his armor back on, right? And and as a uh, over fifty year old man, I can sort of feel for him trying to put on his tuxedo after you know you haven't worn it in five or six years, and it's not quite fitting, right? But you know to see Boba Fett, you know, kick some ass with his bantha stick that was that was fun, uh, and see some dark troopers, right? Ooh, scary, evil stuff. So it was like again, it's just like these constant mixed bags of episodes where, wow, there's really great stuff going on here. I'm like really vested and like, oh, this, this action sequence is a stinker. We got to talk about it. What do you think of the return of Boba Fett from the dead? Uh, I was okay with it. I thought, I mean, they were playing it out the entire time, right? With getting the armor back from Cobb Vanth and, and all that. Um, the crate dragon and, you know, all this, all this stuff. I was fine with it. And it was really great to see uh, Tamura Morrison, you know, back in action and, you know, to see and, and hear him uh, doing his thing. Uh, I thought he was great. And I was fine. You know, from the, from the comic book standpoint of the, com- you know, the, the fantastical nature of Star Wars at this level, I was fine with it. I think it was cool. I think the first half of a big chunk of the book of Boba Fett was was just terrible. Uh, it was just felt like a rushed. Um, it was production. Fine. It some of it was horrible, just downright horrible. But anyway, we'll we'll get there in a second. Um, I so I was happy to see Boba Fett back, and I was happy to see you know that iconic armor on the screen. So it, at this level of show, I was happy for that element to be reintroduced to it. Okay, and, and I'm on record of of like hating a lot of stuff so like in the season one with the gunslinger episode of the mandalorian where there's the young kid bounty hunter and Uh they recreate the whole han solo scene in the in the tavern i just hated that 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 just pissed me off it's like stop being lazy okay now i'm going (laughs) now this is my rant time you know just don't don't rehash things because you can and i think what i liked about the boba fett storyline is is that they didn't rehash old stuff they gave us a fresh take yeah when when uh tamora puts on the armor you know when boba fett puts on his armor um it doesn't fit right right because like his body's aged and he's older like that is hilarious that was funny that was realistic it's a new take so they're giving me an iconic vision and an iconic character but then they're being kind of in some ways real about it they're being tongue and chink they're winking at us a little bit and and it's something new right? It's not just uh, rehashing the old stuff. You know, we get to see him fire the backpack rocket. Like, we never saw that in the originals, right? You know, so so I was quite happy that they didn't just try to retread old tires, but they, they actually created new space for the character. So I think that's where I could appreciate having Boba Fett back in the picture. Okay. I do not have as much nostalgia for Boba Fett because, like sure. I said, the prequels are probably more my nostalgia game. So actually, I, I thought that Bo, that Bo Katan was a better nostalgia train, and and uh, Ahsoka especially mm, than mm-hmm. I than I felt about. Boba We're both Fett. brand new to me, really. Yeah, right. Yeah, Boba Fett. I I was like, ah, it's fine, but I didn't need it. I didn't need mm-hmm. it. Uh, I do wish that they would bring in more new characters, especially. And especially let go of characters that they have had presumed dead, because right. you do that Can't one too many just times. Yeah. yeah, well, you it do gets... that one too many times, and it just starts to feel stupid. It just starts to feel like nothing has a consequence, and you don't want that. You want the stakes to be real. The Last of Us, we're watching that right now. 
every right, time I was just somebody's gonna in a fight, yeah. we're, we're like, are they going to die? And they could. Right. The Mandalorian's not going to die. We, we just watched episode six, and your, your question to me was like, okay, well, you know, no spoilers, but like, yeah, there's, there's something happening, uh, which I don't want to uh, cross over necessarily, but I think my reply was, uh, part of me, I'm so trained as a TV, modern TV viewer watcher that I can't believe that certain characters aren't going to be with me anymore, because that's what they've always told me for years and years and years, that if you're dead, you're not really dead. And as The Who said... You won't get fooled again. <laughs> I thought I'm the old man here. I'm supposed to be bringing those references. I have a vinyl record of that. Wow, I'm impressed. I mean, oh, I, that's I, I that's good, good stuff. Of, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you're you're a musical guy, so you're a musician, so for that it makes sense. So, yeah, I guess I, I can take I see the see your point. I mean, for me, Bo-Katan and Ahsoka were are brand new, so I'm like, "Ooh, cool. Who are these people?" Um, whereas like, "Oh, cool, you know, uh, uh Boba Fett Oh, cool. They're doing something different with him. They're not retreading the tire. Like, I could, I was fine with it. Okay. All right. Very cool. So, yeah. Let's talk Darksaber. Yes. This was probably your introduction to it, right? This, uh, Absolutely. well, I guess, I guess, uh, Moffat has wielded it before, but this is the most lore you've gotten about it. Yeah. And we, but I was watching with my spouse and we both hit the edge of the couch. We were like, ooh, what's that? <laughs> the way that it looks in the animation, I think is better. It's, uh, uh-huh. Okay. It's just, I don't think that they got the effect right in the live action where in the animation, it's like the back end of the Darksaber seems to be like delayed in every slash. So mm, it almost looks like a wall of black as it wow. goes instead of, instead of just one thing mo- moving. I wish that mm. they got that in the, in the show. I know it probably was a little bit harder with the visual effects, but I loved that effect in Rebels. And I think if, if you haven't seen this, look up Darksaber Fight Rebels, something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's everywhere. Okay. Good stuff. And I wish that they got that better. But I love the lore of the Darksaber, and I'm glad it's back. I'm glad right. that they have this weapon that is... And, you know, it's funny because Bo-Katan is saying, well, you're part of a cult, and, you know, you're just, <laughs> just doing this. And she's like, yeah, but if I have this piece of metal, I am the ruler of everyone. Right. Bo-Katan is full of shit. <laughs> was somebody whispering in my ear for a second there? i don't know i don't know i didn't hear anything i did think it was interesting like by the end by the by episode eight there uh the mandalorians got uh beskar spear uh you know a, a really nice fresh suit of of armor and the dark saber like he's like so kitted out it's ridiculous yeah and then they're like oh well we're gonna nerf him in book of boba fett Right, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like the way they did it in a video game where mm-hmm. you played the first game and the, you're starting the second game. You probably don't know this because you don't play video games. No, but yeah. This is generally something that happens if you're, if you're playing a, a not very well-made a game sequel. series. You play mm-hmm. the first game, you get your suit all jacked up, you get your, your weapons all together, then you play the second game and something happens where you magically lose all your abilities and yeah. you have to regain them. Well, as a dungeon master, I have totally done that to my players. <laughs> well, so. it feels cheap if it's done poorly. And, yes, and it, it, I don't it, know yeah, how I yeah. feel about the whole getting rid of the spear, but let's let's wait till we get to Book of Boba for that. Right. I will say, like, uh, in terms of episode to episode, I mean, I already kind of trash-talked the, the Western gunfight in um, the one episode. There were parts of the Believer that were interesting, and then there were some 
parts of it that were a little bit silly. Um, but the fact the the whole sequence of them going into the Imperial base and uh, having to pass as Imperial soldiers and do that whole thing and the helmet routine and talking to that other Imperial officer, that was a nail biter for me. I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen here. This is really cool. They're talking about uh, lore and history. They're talking about TK numbers. And, you know, like we're actually seeing uh, Imperials not just be, you know, you know, mustache twisting, you know, bad guys, but we're seeing interaction and we're seeing like, hey, good job. You know, you brought in the, the shipment on time. And yeah. so I, I really yeah. appreciated that, that panning the camera around to the other side of, of the Empire and, and seeing... Not necessarily their humanity. I don't want to humanize them too much, but just seeing the other side and seeing that, yeah, there's there are beings in here. These are people who have emotions and are reacting to things. And then seeing this one really, you know, crazy imperial officer, he was awesome. Like that was it. That dude was just chewing the scenery on that scene. It was amazing. Well, you you're talking about a series that has made its mark by redeeming its most iconic villain. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that it's beyond your capacity to just say, yeah, there are human beings who do evil things, but they're still human beings. And it's interesting because we're watching, you know, uh, uh, we're, we're recording this concurrently with the Bad Batch and the middle of this season right now, they're really dealing with that whole question of the empire saying, okay, or well, in the galactic Senate and sort of all the, the, the um, political power structures are saying, okay, we're done with clones. And now we're going to have this, you know, conscript army. And then you realize that, yeah, you know, we, we see stormtroopers getting blasted all the time. But you got to remember, there's actually, that's actually a human being in there. And that's, so to see in that particular episode, The Believer, chapter 15, seeing them high-fiving and, and cheering, you know, like that, you know, somebody was able to, to complete a mission successfully. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. These are just people, right? These are just, you know normal soldiery in a part of the empire. They were only following orders. They were only following orders. The banality, the banality of it all. So let's get to Luke Skywalker's entrance. CGI Luke. Yes. Do you What's have feelings? Okay, you're asking me first. All right. Um, I think it was cool as hell to see Luke wreck shop, right? Like, and we haven't even talked about the dark troopers at all. Uh, and... So here you, like, I had no idea what was going to happen. And when the X-Wing flew in and the cloak and the hand, it, it, you know, watching it on the, on a rewatch, it's like, oh, okay, it's obvious they were signaling this, you know, as it it was coming in. But watching it for the, I remember the feeling when we were watching it live for the first time going, oh my God, oh my God, is it, could it, are they really going to, oh, it is, ah! And we were just like, whoa, we were jumping out of our, our chairs. And it was like, it was really cool. It was really fun. Because like Luke, for me, right? Like that's the original trilogy. You know, that's, that's big nostalgia. And to see him on screen in that way was great. And it was so awesome to see him just kick an ass. And uh, uh, just taking these uh, dark troopers to pieces. And it was a mirror of uh, Rogue One when Darth Vader shows up ah, at the end I didn't put that and wrecks together. shop, you know, so like here's father and son, these dudes are powerful, right? And, and we never really get to see Luke, you know, 
just clean up like that. And uh, so it was cool. Like, and again, that's a, that's maybe a nostalgia thing for me because, you know, that's, that was my, I mean, I was uh, always identified with Han Solo a lot more than I did with Luke. My, my friend Anthony was Luke and I was always, I always played Han Solo. Um, But, uh, you know, it's a character I grew up with and it was really great to see him um, in the prime of power. And yeah. flexing that power. And a few years after Return of the Jedi. So he's had some years of training, presumably mm-hmm. with Force Ghosts at the helm. <laughs> Fair enough. And your opinion of uh, seeing old Master Skywalker back? They really nailed the saunter, right? They mm-hmm. nailed him walking in very casually. Mm-hmm. Not ever moving his body, but just moving his hand and de- decimating these dark troopers decimation is a good word who honestly i'm more scared of them than i was ever afraid of the first order in the sequel trilogy Mm -hmm. i think moff gideon and his crew his remnant of the empire is Mm -hmm. a way better villain villain very than snoke and his crew and whiny baby ben solo Mm -hmm. and that whole deal ben solo again missed opportunity great promise did not resolve that well but anyway we're not going to he- complain about the sequel. We're not today. litigating that one. Too. I yeah. am loving the Moff Gideon crew, and I think that this is a, a great opportunity to show the terror of the Empire as underdogs. Mm-hmm. And so Luke coming in and and just destroying these people, great. When we saw his face, mm-hmm. yeah, I was going to ask. I think it was CGI. great. I thought it was good. I thought it was pretty good. The voice was pretty good too. The face was not perfect in the animation. I did think that they did a much better job in Book of Boba Fett. Right. Yeah, they, they've advanced it. And they did a lot better than uh, Rogue One with, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Terry Fisher. Um, oh, yeah, oh, oh and, with, uh, with um, why can't sorry, podcast it? land. We're, yeah, we're, it's Wait, hard sometimes it's, uh, to remember to read. Tarkin. It's Tarkin. Tarkin. Yes, exactly. With uh, with Tarkin and um, with and with Carrie Fisher as well as uh, with Princess Leia, those were really rough. Uh, and so yeah, we can see the evolution I think in the in the technology. Yeah, definitely. So Grogu going off with Luke. Hmm. Did you like this? Did you like him going off to be a Jedi? Uh, I don't know. I'd say I liked it. Not like I think it was the natural. It was where they were taking this with the story, so I accepted it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it made sense with the character motivations, I think. Yeah, it, it, it all went on a little bit too long. Um, it could have, I think they, I think there was a lot of fat in there. They could have trimmed back and I think it would have had a more emotional, just on the rewatch. I was just like, oh, come on. Like, you know, get over it. Like, we know he's going off and he's going to take us helmet. Okay, great. Uh, just go. Uh, and they just really drug it out. And then, you know, they had to bring in a little R2-D2 member Barry there. So, um, you know, I, I, I thought it was good and I, I thought it was scripted correctly in terms of like, yeah, he needs your permission and you got to take off the helmet. Like, these are all things that we've been waiting for throughout the, the season. So I thought it delivered uh, reasonably well. I agree. I think it was a good setup for the season. And uh, it leads us right into the book of Boba Fett. Which was surprising because, uh, uh, yeah, when, when we got what we got in, in that, it was like not expecting at all. If they had just done the Mando and Grogu plot lines and done it as like, I don't know, a TV movie or something like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it would have been well received. The, the Mandalorian parts were very good. Yeah. 
Agreed. Yeah, you really did feel the oil and water mixing of two productions and to maybe, you know, I don't know if it's different writers' rooms or what's going on there, but they just really did feel qualitatively different. Yeah, yeah. I did have a decent time with Book of Boba Fett, at least in the beginning. I think that Mm -hmm. it wasn't great, but it was not worse than the droids arc in Clone Wars. So Can I... Go ahead. Speaking of droids, can we... We never really talked about dark troopers at all. Yeah, yeah. Bring them in. I, I like. I know nothing about like what that technology is. Did they need the blood to activate them to give them sort? You know, because we have we're Star Wars is right. You know, plenty of droids everywhere around. Why are these droids any different, and what makes them so dangerous? Uh, and I didn't quite understand that. And and was it because of Grogu's blood they were taking midichlorians out or something? Um. All right. Well, this is wild speculation, so. Okay, well, you're better qualified than I am, so. (laughs) I think it could be one of two things with the blood. One, they want the blood to, I don't know, this feels like it goes against Star Wars lore, but to put it in the dark troopers and then they could use the midichlorians for the force, I don't know, that seems like a stretch. Or, you know, they've got the cloning stuff around. Maybe Mm -hmm. they are working on Palpatine clones and they want midichlorian heavy blood to be able to replicate and just you know make more palpatine bodies maybe power them up a little bit didn't they say that one of the the drawbacks of the original dark trooper designs was the human operator and once they sort of did something at a certain point i don't know is there a human brain inside of there or what yeah there's i have a lot of questions about that and i don't know maybe if if we're in a place to be able to answer those I don't think so. I think we're going to have to wait for season three for Moff Gideon to have some monologue about how the Dark Trooper was made and whatnot. Right. Oh, you know, that, that's a good point, too. Is that like two things just come to mind. One, list, dear listeners, you can write in StarWarsAtTheLoreHounds.com. Let us know what your opinions are on the uh, Dark Troopers, because uh, we definitely would take some um, extra information from y'all. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, too, was uh, it was really... Uh, it was great to see uh, Giancarlo Esposito after we had just watched him in Kaleidoscope. Um, he was ve- he looked very different in this part, and and I was really paying attention to him a, a lot more in this. And he was not playing Gus Fring at all in this. He was really playing Moff Gideon, who was a wholly different character. Even though both had similar uh, flat affects, um, they were very different, and so it was kind of cool to uh, see him, you know, just after we'd watched Kaleidoscope, which he was very different in that. He's a little more cartoonish in, mm-hmm. uh, in the Moff Gideon role, which, yeah. you know, I think appropriate for the medium, appropriate, appropriate for yeah. the franchise. Yeah, he, he was just a little more like, let me wax on my plans, on my evil plans and what yes. I'm going to do <laughs> with the blood. And, yeah, it, you know, I liked him. I think he was a good villain. I think yeah, uh, it, it yeah, was really we'll great. keep going on it. All right, so we, you want to kick us off on the Book of Boba Fett here? Yeah, so let's do this in two parts. Let's do the Mandalorian return arc and then the Grogu arc. So starting off with Mando, back in his bounty hunter career, Mando visits the Armorer and Paz Vizsla, the last remaining members of the Children of the Watch. He has a Beskar chainmail shirt made for Grogu out of the Beskar spear after training with the Dartsaber and learning the Mandalore behind it. (laughs) Mando is challenged to a duel by Vizsla for ownership of the weapon. Mando wins the duel, 
but admits to the armorer that he has shown his face. He is told he is no longer a Mandalorian and must cleanse himself in the living waters of Mandalore to redeem himself. So I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I loved the tone of it. It really reminded me of the uh, Ahsoka uh, episode in the first or second season of uh, Mandalorian. Yeah. No. yeah. I mean, they, they all blend together at, at this stage, right? <laughs> Watched so much <laughs> of it recently. It just had this great tone that carried it, that was consistent throughout it. The visual look was great. Just this sort of quiet, weird, culty way that the um, the coverts are, you know, and and how they sort of run their their culture. I just uh, I really enjoyed it a, a lot, um, and it was fun to see him and and. Uh, Paz Vizsla fight, right? Like, yeah. Isn't that isn't that Dave Filoni, or, or was that like his voice or something? It's in the John Favreau. One? Favreau, that's what it is. Yeah, it's Favreau. And John Favreau yeah. also played another Vizsla, pre Vizsla. Uh, uh-huh. Literally, that's his name. He's not the before Vizsla, pre Vizsla, <laughs> uh, who was in the Clone Wars and led Death Watch, which was the organization that Bo Katan was working for. Yeah, forget that he's an actor, right? Like he was in the Iron Man yeah, uh, stuff yeah. and everything. Yeah. And I saw him in a food truck movie once. I can't remember what it was. It was okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I like this episode a lot. I like the at least this part of the episode a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that this was probably the strongest part of the whole Book of Boba Fett season. Honestly. Oh, yeah. God. Right? Just this, like, 20-minute was... sequence was the best part. <laughs> it was a breath of fresh air. Like, it was like, whoa, hey, here we go. Yep. Yep. So... Very good. I liked that they discussed how Bo-Katan was gifted. The mm-hmm. dark saber, and and that is why, according to the armorer, her rebellion against the empire failed. And it seems like the armorer blames Bo-Katan on the empire yeah. coming in and destroying Mandalore, which is fascinating. Because mm-hmm. if all the Mandalorians banded together, <laughs> they might have a chance in in replenishing the the waters of the living waters of Mandalore and and right. getting things back going. Terraforming, I'm sure, is not out of the question here. But yeah, no, the, the children of the Watch are not having it with Bo-Katan. And who can blame them? Because she is... I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're moving on. You, you've gotten past it. You, you've got your, your venom out. Oh, I'm not past it, but it's in my head now. No, that's true. Right. Exactly. Fair enough. Uh, I really like the the training sequence with the the dark saber and and just seeing uh, it, it was it's always interesting seeing Dinjarin come into the presence of the armorer because out in the world he's a badass he's huge right like he comes in and he just dominates a space and he's like the baddest mofo you know you know anywhere around right within a, a five kilometer radius he comes into the presence of the armorer. And suddenly he's meek and he's mild and he's yeah. yes man and, and you know whatever. And so through the voice acting and the body acting, right, which are two separate components here, they really do a good job of of telling us the power structure here between the armor and him. So yeah, good good deal on the production. It really I really felt the vibe of all of that. Yeah, they did a great job. And watching Vizsla who, again, he mentioned his ancestor is the one who created mm-hmm. the Darksaber. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, watching him try to reclaim it, the same way his his other relative, Previsla, 
tried to reclaim well he had it and he used it to try to overthrow the throne of mandalore and that's what got him killed what got darth maul on the throne what got bo katan working back for the good guys watching him try to reclaim this family legacy and almost succeed but fail to someone who is an apostate to him it's almost a double punch in the face yes that this yeah. guy who just defeated him isn't even a real mandalorian in his eyes so that's a question for me is when he beats him and she's like, well, you're not a Mandalorian anymore. Doesn't he have to take off the armor right then and there? Like, oh, he's I no longer know. entitled yeah. to that. So like, I thought that was a little strange because when he's talking to the marshal, he's like, you're not Mandalorian. You can't wear that armor. And I'm, I'm either going to take it off you or you're going to give it to me. So when he walks out of there with his armor, I was like a little bit head scratcher. I mean, obviously yeah. we have to do some, certain things for the show. But uh, I was I was wondering, rule of like, cool. I think I think I, definitely the rule of cool trumps this. So yeah, well I see. I'm glad you brought in the armor because the dark saber made sense to me because it it's not you know you're you're gonna rule Mandalore if you have the dark saber, but just because you are Mandalorian doesn't mean you have a claim over somebody who defeated you. Mm-hmm. So like dark Darth Maul had legitimate claim to the dark saber at a at a per- point in time. Uh, and it only became somebody else's later. But the, the armor, I don't understand. The question on the Darksaber, then, is um, if, you ha- if you've won it in battle, then you, you have the right to claim uh, leadership. You don't, you're not given leadership. Like, you've still got to do the work of sure. bringing everybody together and doing all the—you've you, you got work to do. We're not just going to all fall down and, you know, worship you. Right. And this is a traditional view, too, because in the Clone Wars era, Mandalore was a much more traditional planet with uh, they were a pacifist nation. They tried to remain neutral in the Clone Wars. They did not declare for either the Separatists or the Republic, though they were much more tied with the Republic, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, Satine, which is uh, the sister of Bo-Katan, was in love with Obi-Wan Kenobi, who shared her feelings, but he did not act on them because he's not Anakin Skywalker. Right. <laughs> and okay. yeah, so I, I mean, that she didn't have the Darksaber ever, but she was a respected leader. People loved her. And it was only after Death Watch sort of orchestrated the rise of Darth Maul that she fell. Wow, there's a lot of lore here. And this is all in the animated. This is all in the animated. It's incredible. Yeah, when the animated stuff is good, it's good. Right. When it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and I and I just I, I need to get that um, cheat sheet watch list and uh, and get to these good parts because this some of this stuff sounds amazing. Oh, it is. I mean, the great fights are great. The great lore is great. It's uh, anyway. This is not a Clone Wars podcast. So no, let's no, move right. On so move on with our Book of Boba Fett <laughs> plot. On Tatooine, Mando visits Pelimato and gets a new ship. He tries to visit Grogu, but is intercepted by Ahsoka, who convinces him not to let Grogu see him. She takes the chainmail shirt from Mando to give to Grogu. Grogu has been training with Luke Skywalker at his new Jedi school for misfit kids, (laughs) which is being built. Grogu progresses well, but when Ahsoka gives Luke the gift from Mando, Luke worries about Grogu and Mando's attachment to each other. He gives Grogu a choice between the chainmail shirt and Yoda's lightsaber. Grogu takes the chainmail shirt, flies with R2-D2 to Tatooine, and reunites with Mato, who brings him to Mando. Reuniting during a war between Boba Fett and the Pikes for some reason. 
Grogu helps Mando avoid destruction from a Scorpionek and a Rancor. After winning Boba Fett's war, Mando and Grogu fly off into space. All right. Problematic episode. <laughs> sure. On, uh, sure. Uh, here on, uh, on a couple of levels. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even want to talk about the, the ending battle scene stuff with uh, um, the Pike Syndicate and, and Book of Boba Fett. Uh, I, I would just like to talk about Luke. That's fine. Ahsoka That's fine. Let's Grogu. just talk about Grogu. <laughs> um, we don't talk about Boba. No. Oh, so bad. Uh, so this is the school that was being built. Yeah. Luke Skywalker's School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. <laughs> Doesn't do so well. He's kind of, the interesting thing is, he's very arrogant, Luke is, in this sequence. Like, he's very full of himself. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, you know, I'm gonna make this great school, and we're gonna rebuild the Jedi Order, and I know what to do, and I know how we can do it, and, you know, I, I don't think it ends so well, right? No, it doesn't. I, I don't think he wins over the heart and mind of Grogu. No. Well, and, and isn't this like, doesn't this play out in the future even beyond Grogu? Yeah, I mean, I think that you can argue that Luke's rigid adherence to the Jedi Code, to the classical Jedi Code, is what led to Ben Solo's fall, is what led to the fall of his school and his, uh, I guess, seclusion and exile. Right, right. Drinking blue milk on his own. <laughs> what was that scene? <laughs> yeah, that was just member berry stuff. And how was that one of the better scenes of the movie? Uh, let's. I, I really don't want to go into <laughs> to that movie. Let's uh, let's avoid it. Okay. Ahsoka and Luke. That was an interesting little interplay there. Yeah, that was fun because, you know, I, I, if you don't know because you haven't watched the Clone Wars, Ahsoka was Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Right. And he she was very attached to Anakin. He was with her till the end until he became Darth Vader. And she denied it for a really long time. It was only after she got into a fight with him in Rebels, which if you haven't watched these episodes, go watch them right now. It's some of the best Star Wars content. It is uh, the... Twilight of the Apprentice, which is the season finale couple episodes of season two of Rebels. She gets to do a fight with Darth Vader, and he's like, hey, I basically am Anakin. And she goes, I don't believe you. My master was never that cruel. And she slashes him, cuts off part of his mask, and sees Anakin's eyes, and it goes, oh, no. Uh -huh. It's sort of like what they, they did the same thing in Kenobi, basically. But right. they... Uh, they did a better job in Rebels, I think. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, she was in denial that it was him. And then now she gets to meet his son, who she sees the best qualities of Anakin in, I think. Mm-hmm. And they, they share something about that, right? She, she mentioned something about that, like, you know, oh, so like your father or something. Yeah, yeah. You are just like your father. And, but I think it was where she he was doubting he, he said i don't know if he has it in his heart to do it something like that yes really right. trying to push grogu to be his best and that kind of drive saying he's like his father that almost scared me a little bit i was like what mm -hmm. is she saying there because i don't know if it was actually a compliment right yeah it was it was an interesting comment and interesting too about yeah grogu like he's He's there because the Mandalorian basically said go, right? It's not like Grogu was, what? I mean, he did sit on the stone and 
call out to other Jedi, but it, yeah, it just doesn't ever feel like Grogu wants to be a, Je- a great Jedi, right? And he's not going to have his choices made for him. And I, I appreciate that Mando gave him a choice and then Luke gives him a choice. Yeah. I do appreciate that both of That's them true. didn't go, no, you're coming with me. Right. And yeah, you're going you're gonna to do this training regardless. Yeah, no, that's a good point that, that he did get the choice. You deserve a choice. We've heard that line this week. Yeah, but not exactly. Here. <laughs> Episode six of Last of Us. Go check out our, our main feed. Really great show. Go watch it. So I want to also say Ahsoka is excellent casting. Rosario yes. Dawson is excellent as totally Ahsoka when she it. showed up in season two. Yeah. I thought for a second that Ashley Eckstein, Eckstein, I think it is, uh, who voiced Ahsoka in the animated series, was voicing her. I thought that Rosario Dawson was just acting it out. And I, I realized, as, as is more reasonable, Rosario Dawson is speaking, but she's getting that Ahsoka voice down so well so, that I almost yeah. can't tell the difference. You can tell the difference over time, but it really is the right vibe. It's the right tone. It's that right like flat tone that's a little bit playful. Really great. Great job, Rosario Dawson. Can't wait for your solo show. And she's got just the physical nature, just the way that she walks and that she moves. And, uh, and, and I just, that episode too, like where the, her lightsabers light up and she's in the dark behind somebody. It just like, she really has that character down. I'm looking forward to covering Ahsoka when, it, when they finally bring it to us. And I appreciate the attention to detail in her costume, like the the uh, the little tendrils. I forgot what the real name of them, but the the substitute for hair that her species has. Oh right. Oh, you're gonna get in trouble. With it the- has like <laughs> indents on it though, and yeah, it has yeah. it has battle scars, and it and it mm-hmm. it looks natural. It doesn't look just flat plastic like a right. lot of things might look. Especially you know the costumes were great in the original Star Wars, but every now and then it would look like that. Mm-hmm. And this didn't have that. This felt really real, and I appreciate that. Yeah, good stuff. All right, David, any other thoughts about Book of Boba Fett before we talk about what we're looking forward to and what we fear? No, uh, I think it was pretty, pretty exhaustive coverage there. There's, there's a lot more to talk about, I suppose, but I think, that, I think we've summed it up pretty well. Yeah. All right, well then, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we will discuss our hopes, fears, and listener feedback. And we're back. So, David, what are the things you're most looking forward to? I think I'm interested in seeing more Mandalorians and learning more about Mandalore culture. That's for um, top three. How about that? Top three. Okay. So, more Mandalorians. Uh, I guess number two will be Mandalorian culture and lore. Because, like, there's the physical, like, just seeing them you know, fighting and flying around and doing all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I'm totally excited for that kind of stuff. Um, and we've gotten quite a bit of it in the two seasons so far, but I'm, I'm definitely down for some more. Um, number two, I guess, would be Mandalorian lore and history and, and that kind of stuff. And then, um, I don't know. 
Where, well, hmm, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, is, are we going to see some more Ahsoka? Are they going to touch on that? Mm. Uh, that would be cool. But then, like, I'm also thinking, you give baby Grogu a Beskar chainmail uh, shirt, that's got to be used at some point. So, like, what's going to happen that, like, he's going to need that armor? So, maybe, I guess I'm looking forward for the threat. You know, is it Moff Gideon? Is it other Mandalorians? Like, what's the... What's the big, bad, scary thing that's going to come? I have no sense of what it's going to be. And I think, yeah, that's definitely what I'm interested in. It's like, okay, what have you got set up for us for the big, bad? I'm excited to see that. Very cool. I think my top three would be more of the Jedi school. I would like to see that developed a little bit more. Okay, interesting. I want to see the return to Mandalore. I want to see the planet. Yes, okay. I want Mm -hmm. to see what actually happened. And I want mm-hmm. to have, I guess this is my third one. What happened exactly with the Great Purge? Because that is okay. still a little bit in the dark. Right. Doesn't sound like a, <laughs> it's a, a purge. They're not great. Right, uh, right. That's what I can but say. So. Mandalore has really been through a lot. Yeah. There was a civil war. There was, you know, it, it, it's just a whole thing. Whole thing. So let's do one each of something that we're worried about. Let's keep it mostly positive, but let's, let's express some doubts. I think the thing I'm most worried about, and, and I, I'm on record with this uh, uh, quite regularly, I, stop pulling the 77 movies up, you know, the, the, the original movies, and recreating scenes and sound effects and doing that kind of stuff. Just stop it. And if you do that a bunch in this season, I'm going to be really upset. They haven't been doing it much, especially in season two, so I feel okay. But that's like the one thing that just gets me no matter what. I think second to that, okay, I know you said one thing, but like the number two thing would just be bad, bad action sequences. Just you, you have all of Hollywood at your fingertips. People, you know, spilling them, you know, falling over themselves to work on a Star Wars property. Do your action sequences properly, please, people, right? Like those are my two. Because those, those things break my verisimilitude. And take me out of the, the, the show. I will suffer a whole lot of other silly stuff, ice spiders and Grogu eating frog eggs and things like that. That's fine. Just don't do those two things and, and we'll be friends. All right. Well, now I get two because you've gone over your quota. Yes, yes. You can have two as well. My biggest one uh-huh. is I do not want the episodic nature of this show taking away from the continuity of the main plot. Interesting. Okay. I think season two struck a good balance between episodic plot lines and major arcs. Agreed. And I don't think season one did as good of a job. So I'm hoping that we just have a repeat of season two. They learn their lesson from season one and they're retaining that, that style. Right. Production-wise, since I'll, I'll mm-hmm. go later on that, bad deepfake characters. Let's not okay. do it. Let's try to avoid deepfake as much as we can. And mm-hmm. when we do it, let's do it sparingly and well. Minimize it. Right. Fair enough. I think that's the same thing. for it's, It breaks verisimilitude. It right. takes you out of the story. It's jarring. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Luke in Boba Fett did look really good. It genuinely did look good. There were only a few things where I went, eh, his eyes aren't moving the right way. But yeah, it's that uncanny valley stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but I think most of the time I, I said, especially when he was just looking straight forward and he wasn't moving his eyes, I thought it looked great. I thought it looked really well. I actually think that the voice was one of the weaker parts in Book of Boba Fett because mm, not that it didn't sound like Mark Hamill, but I think because they had to play with it to make it sound like him, they were nervous to have the voice emote much. 
mm-hmm. and it was very flat. And I don't think that they allowed who I don't know how they made this voice, but whoever voiced it or whatever computer program <laughs> they made do it emote at all. I think that it was very straight, and I don't know if I like that. I think Mark Hamill smoked one too many packs of Marble Reds and a few too many whiskeys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He played gone. the Joker too long, and now his voice is wrecked. Right. That's right. So, Well, David, I think it's time for our listener feedback. Just a reminder, you can send this feedback to StarWarsAtTheLoreHounds.com, or you can go to TheLoreHounds.com slash contact and leave us a voicemail, which we'll play on the next episode. Yeah, so um, these are a couple of older emails that that came through. And I think with our Star Wars coverage, right, whatever this next Star Wars podcast is, is we're just going to bring those uh, feedbacks uh, up so we keep things rolling. Um, We had Dan write in, and uh, Dan says, uh, very appreciative you guys have convinced me to give Andor a shot. So that was a while ago. I was one of those Star Wars fans that fell out of love after watching the sequels. And whatever the hell the Book of Boba Fett was, well, yeah, we were just talking about that. Now that I'm fully back in, I have a question as to where to go next in the Star Wars universe. I haven't watched any of the animated shows, and I haven't seen the prequels since they were in theaters. I want to get back in, but I'm not really sure where to start. Sell me something. Appreciate the hard work uh, you've put in to educate and entertain us. So, John, I think this dovetails really nicely with what you were talking about uh, before with the animated series, like where should Dan go? What should he pick up? Does he, cause I know I bounced off hard off of uh, first early episodes of some of the animated stuff. So how should he go about this? You know, other than bad batch, because that actually had a very good pilot. The animated series have started off very juvenile, very kid-like, very much targeted towards a very young audience. However, at their height, They're really amazing. So, I'm going to give you a few options on Clone Wars arcs. The Umbara arc, self-contained, about the clones, about the relationships between the clones, and it does not really touch on the major Clone Wars arc. So, I think that that's a good way to get a taste of the Clone Wars, of what the Clone Wars can offer, and uh, at its best. So, the Umbara, he he could just Google for that, Umbara arc. Right, yeah. If you just look up the Umbara arc, it's, I think it's three episodes, and you can just find okay. out what that is. Cool. Another arc. In fact, I'll just plug the whole thing. I think we're going to be covering a few Ahsoka-centric arcs that are really good arcs in our Ahsoka preview series. So if you want to start on that, we're going to be covering, for sure, the Trial of Ahsoka Tano. So there's, a, there's an arc uh, you can look for there. The Rogue Jedi, I think, is the first episode with it, or maybe one of the middle episodes. And uh, we're also going to be covering the uh, Siege of Mandalore, which is the finale of Clone Wars. Now, I wouldn't recommend starting with the finale, but it is a banger. And that's that. I think that those are some good recommendations. And I did mention before, uh, Rebels has a really great finale of Season 2. The last two episodes of Season 2, Twilight of the Apprentice, some of the best Star Wars content I've seen, full stop. So that's my recommendation to you, Dan, and I think that we discussed this on Second Breakfast already, but thanks for writing in. Cool. So we have uh, Peter O, and uh, Peter wrote in a while back, and I um, his email, I didn't pick up his email in in a timely manner, and um, uh, so some of this is a little bit dated back to the Andor stuff, and and Peter and I uh, traded emails, and I apologized for for missing it. Um, And he wrote in... um, 
that uh, a, a pretty interesting email with lots of details comparing uh, British colonial history with that of the empire. And, and it was the length that would justify the text crawl at the beginning of a Star Wars movie. <laughs> longer. But I longer loved it, than Peter. that. I did yeah, enjoy it. Was it was really, really fascinating stuff. It should have had the text crawl so that you, have, you really had to linger on the lines. That's right. Peter had originally written into during the Andor, our Andor coverage, uh, uh, comparing the naval officer that was bested by Luthen and sort of comparing that to the British Royal Navy. And um, a couple of things that he points out in his email is that him being an Irishman who has emigrated to the United States, he was remembering back when he was in school that, you know, they really taught a lot about the British uh, Empire and that British history, colonial power, and how terrifying for a lot of nations seeing a British uh, man of war on the horizon would be. So, like, I think that sort of echoes the point of, like, if an Imperial Star Destroyer shows up on your, you know, uh, on your tail, like, that's a terrifying thing. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we, we see Star Destroyers get made fun of and blown up and, and treated quite badly in, in a lot of the movies. But, you know, we're dealing with uber-heroic characters here. So the point being, though, is, like, it, there's a lot of uh, Imperial culture that's based on, you know, or Star Wars Imperial culture that seems to have echoes in British colonial history. So, you know, seeing a, a big ship like that is, you know, kind of terrifying. He also um, mentioned this British officer by the name of uh, Frank Kitston, who, in, in relationship to the Aldani population in the Andor show, how the empire there set up comfort stations and sort of pubs along the routes of the pilgrimages. And apparently this officer... It was quite known for that and wrote a bunch of books, counterinsurgency books, on using these kinds of very tactics. So again, the show doing a great job of pulling like real world examples uh, uh, from colonial history, you know, in, in, in seeding it into the, the way that the empire operates. So anyway, he had it, so many more different points. And, and uh, Peter, it was actually really good to, to read your email. And uh, again, was. apologies for missing you. And please write in again. Um, I always appreciate your takes. He closed out, you, you have this written here, this sentence, interesting that Mando and Book of Boba don't feel like they have as much roots in colonial storytelling. That reminds me of Tony Gilroy, I believe in an interview, said, the stories are all there in history, you just have to pull them out. Right. I do think that these Story of the Week shows are much less rooted in real human experiences, and that is what does make them less compelling as human stories and, and character-driven stories. But, again, I'm having a lot of fun with, with Mandalorian, and I think that when it's done well, it does pull on those human experiences. I mean, the human hardened conflict with itself, if I have to hear you say that phrase again, <laughs> I've only said it like the mic three off. times, four times. Well, anyway, I edit, so I can delete it. Anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, Mandalorian trying to let go of Grogu and, and see him yeah. yet not destroy his focus with Luke. So yeah, I mean, when it's done well, it does call back to these same historical points, these same human experiences. So let's hope that they do even better in season three and that they learn from Andor. Yeah, that would be really awesome. Yeah, we don't, this will be the first Star Wars property out since Andor. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of um, shadow Andor casts on this production. Yeah. Patreon shout out time. Special thanks to our Lore Master patrons. We have three tiers, starting at $3 a month for ad-free and early access, but our Lore Masters are our highest tiers at, tier at $10 a month. 
And I still can't believe anybody does it, but here's the list, which is growing again. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., David W., Michelle E., Brian P., Nick W., SC, and today, the day we're recording, new lore master, Bettina W. If I'm not pronouncing that right, please write in. And thank you all. Thank you to all our patrons for your support. It helps us justify this to our spouses. It helps us make time for this. It helps us <laughs> get these out faster. So thank you again, and thank you to all our listeners. Yep, indeed. Thank you so much. David, what do we have coming next? All right, so we've got Maester Anthony is continuing his read-along of Clash of Kings, and uh, his episodes usually come out on Thursdays, and depending on when this drops, we might be on the podcast tomorrow. So check out the Hot D feed over at Bald Move. Um, we did a read-along with him on a Theon chapter. It's the first chapter where he goes, where Theon goes back to Pike. It was a lot of fun. I always, I don't know, I, I think, John, you enjoy it too, but I really enjoy talking with Maester Anthony. He's oh, yeah, great. But definitely. Great guy. And it was it's fun to jump back into the J.R.R. Martin world after being in the Tolkien world and the Star Wars world. It's interesting to sort of see and draw some parallels. See, I know that Tolkien's really the, the ruler of your heart because you said J.R.R. Martin. I did, really not G.R.R. Yeah, yeah see, sorry about you know, that. You know we'll who your, there. your loyalty Real master with. is. Yeah, I've got a ring on. You know, I know where, I know where, <laughs> I know which way to orient myself. We're going to be on another uh, chapter with Maester Anthony, I think sometime in April, and then we've invited him to come on the Silmarillion story. So he's going to be doing that in June with us. Next Tuesday, we've got The Last of Us episode seven, that'll be out on our main feed. And this is going to be uh, probably a pretty intense episode. So jump over there and check us out. Um, John Mandalorian coverage, what are we doing there? Every single week, we are doing full coverage, full recap and analysis for you on both the Star Wars feed and the main feed. And because we can't stop punishing ourselves, we are adding a second show and doing Ted Lasso season three full coverage after March 15th when that starts. That'll be interesting. We're going to try to experiment with our formatting a little bit to see what we can do. Um, We haven't really covered a comedy show like this before, so it'll be interesting. It's a very different kind of thing. It's more Um, than a comedy. It's it's way more than a comedy. It's Ted Lasso. And we're looking forward to it. I think season three is going to be really interesting exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. We've got an episode of Silmarillion Stories dropping this Saturday, February 25th. It's already out on the Patreon because we just, we just love our patrons and we give them things early. Then if you don't have enough of reading from that, we've got a new project, the Book Nook series with Marilyn Arpukila, returning Tolkien scholar, who's going to be talking Ursula K. Le Guin, a wizard of Earthsea with us sometime in March. It's coming out. So read that book if you want to read it. It's like 200 pages. It's not long, and it's a great read. You can hop on in for the conversation, even if you haven't, because we're going to be doing a non-spoiler section first. Lastly, we have a new project called The Lorehounds Play. The Last of Us Part 1 is going to be our first game, and that's coming out sometime in March as well, after we finish our coverage of the show. Right, and that show's going to be talking about video games, video game culture, news, that kind of stuff? Exactly. Yeah, me and Brandon the Bard, host of Time to Explain, uh, which I think is available only on Spotify right now, but maybe that'll change. Who knows? He's going to be joining me, and we're going to be talking video games most months. I'm not going to say every month, but most months we're going to be talking about a video game and the relevant industry news. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to that show. All right, David, I had a great time talking Star Wars with you. It's great to be back in a galaxy far, far away. 
and we will see all our listeners next week for the new season. Looking forward to it. It's going to be exciting. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.